we want to know her name. That I always tell people, like, especially if you're homeless or you haven't, you're in crisis and you're not around, you're isolated. Hearing somebody say your name is a really powerful thing. So we want her to know she's welcome. We know her name when she comes in. The center is beautiful. It's not just a, okay, here's a service agency, fill out a form and... And go do this or go do that. With the DMV. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a, a transactional thing. Yeah. It's not transactional. It's yeah. a great word because it is, we're so much about transformational and relationship. Hey everyone. Welcome to In Progress with Motion Tactic. In this episode, Kyle and I talk with Tammy Abernathy, the CEO of Hope Women's Center, a nonprofit organization that provides a safe haven for at-risk women and girls. All the services that Hope offers are totally free, and I think that you guys will agree that the stories of life change and transformation that Tammy shares in this episode are really powerful. So without any further ado, let's jump in. Welcome to In Progress with Motion Tactic. Today in the studio, we have Tammy Abernathy, the CEO of Hope Women's Center. Thanks for joining us, Tammy. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here today. Yeah, we're excited to dig in a little bit. I think a, a great place to start would just be to for listeners to kind of get to know who you are a little bit and what your career trajectories look like a little bit. So, gosh, that's a more complicated question. Yeah. So one of my favorite, you know, those the games where you play two truths and a lie? Yeah. One of my favorites, I'll give it away if, ever, if someone ever is in a game with me, is that um, I've moved 33 times um, by the time I was 13. And that's and my, a truth. That is a truth. And my father was not in the happen? military. Um, but just through a series, my parents were in ministry and they were teachers. And so we would spend a lot of time in different locations in the summers, but actually living there for months at a time. And then um, all over, including all over the world, I got to live internationally a little bit with ministry as well. So um, my growing up years were to see a lot of different places and spaces and get to know people. And that's given me just a passion for a more global perspective. When I got to go to Europe for the first time in my teens, that was just mind opening in terms of just being able to see um, the world outside of just my American viewpoint. And yeah. What was, your favorite, what was your favorite country to live in? I mean, 33 so I, countries, you pretty much... Well, not 32 countries, 33 places, <laughs> 30, 30, 33 addresses, countries not countries. Crazy. Countries would be amazing. Yeah. No, I lo- but I loved, I lived in Amsterdam and in London for longer periods of time, and I loved Amsterdam. That's still one of my favorite cities to this day. Yeah, it's a like neat, fun. Yeah, it was a neat city. And I was working for a ministry that was working to train up um, pastors and evangelists all over the world. So that was neat to be able, for me as a Christian, to be able to see faith, that faith experience internationally and globally. Yeah. And how that looks different. Thing. Yeah. yeah across yeah, cultures can be really yes. different, right? Yes, very much so. So that was just a really great formative experience. It gave me a passion for travel, a passion for learning. Um, and then from that point, I, mean, I did university and graduated graduated with a degree in political science and politics is probably my least favorite <laughs> thing to talk about now. What, what <laughs> school was that at? Um, I actually went to ASU and then also UNC in Charlotte. So cool. graduated from there, political science, economics, thought I was, my plans were to go into international law. Um, God had other plans. I got married and just decided I didn't want to be traveling for most of the year. And so just went just a lot of different things that I've gotten to experience um, working for in the tech world for a while, working in education. I got to be marketing and um, admissions for a private school here in Arizona, Um, working overseas. My actual first job was working internationally in Amsterdam. So that was a great, I was 17. I just graduated from high school and I got to get to 
to have a job over there. So wow, that was pretty amazing. But so, how did you land back in Arizona? I mean, so family. So my okay. parents had landed back here eventually when they were getting closer to retirement. They had landed back here, and so at that, um, I was married, you know, pregnant with my first child, and just wanted to be around family. So we moved out here, back out here. I'd grown up. I'd spent a lot of my growing up time in Arizona, okay. but moved back out here. So both my kids were born and raised here. They think that Arizona is not as exciting <laughs> as Seattle, where it rains all the time, yeah. or <laughs> they want to be in snow and rain. I'm like, you have. You have no idea. I never understand why Arizona people love inclement weather. They do. <laughs> oh and I think God. my kids are so spoiled. They are, they have the most, most gorgeous weather, like this time of year. Like who can be outside in this time of year unless you're in Arizona? Yep. But they are always complaining. Like, man, it's sunny again. <laughs> Go live in Seattle for a, for a year and then come back and talk to me. Um, but they were born and raised out here. And so I've been, then I've been here the last 25 plus years. So That's awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So- so you mentioned that you'd worked uh, in in university mm-hmm. positions, tech. Yeah, but tech, HR. I've done a little You've bit of everything, beha- behavioral health. But my passion was what I do now, and I see and just in God's providence in my life, all of those different positions: human resources, technology, behavioral health, education. All of those led to being and serving how I do today as the CEO of Hope Women's Center. Um, but also just my own personal experience coming being a single mom. I became a single mom where my kids were 18 months and five years old. Wow. So really young, raised them as a single mom. And I'm just so passionate about being able to help women holistically that are struggling, certainly a lot of single moms, yeah. but that they are not alone, that there are resources, there's help, that being in a community is so helpful and beneficial. So what I do now, I just eat, sleep and breathe it. I can't imagine doing anything else but Hope Women's Center. I, I love it. Wow. I did not know a little bit of that background. Yeah. That's super interesting. Did so, you continue to develop in your career while yeah. your kids were young? And I did. did so for process? a while, I took some time when I first, when I had my son, um, but when my daughter was 18 months and my son was five, when I became single mom, I had to go back to work. And yeah. that was hard because I had been very career focused. Um, I wanted, I was interested in HR and really pursuing that into a higher level. I, I'm a type a um, Enneagram One personality. So I'm okay. very, very driven. So at first, the idea of staying home with my kids was like, oh my gosh, like I can't do that. Like, what will I do all day? Right. But then I was able to be a stay at home mom and I loved it. And that was awesome. For this short season, God gifted me with that. That was really, I couldn't have imagined doing anything else. But I did have to go back to work full time when my kids when I became a single mom. And that was hard. That was a hard struggle. Totally. Um, but God went ahead and provided first the, you know, was able to get a job at my church, which was great because they were very understanding when my daughter had strep and would have to sleep on the floor in my office while I was working. So I was able to just work through a lot of those things. But then I think now I look back and I think, you know, I was really blessed to have those kind of situations. The moms that we help at Hope Women's Center, like they'll lose their job if a child is sick and they don't have anywhere to be able to take them. So I I do appreciate what I have, but I also understand just how hard it is for single moms and how lonely it is. And, you know, I was single parenting within a community of faith, within a strong family. My parents were around. I had a lot of friends because I had grown up, spent a lot of time growing up in Arizona. and it was still really, really hard yeah. to do it on my own. And I can't imagine for women that don't have a healthy family, don't have connections, don't have a church home, don't have hope. And so being able to have had that experience and knowing how hard it was, I really wanted to be able to bring that 
to women that were struggling to say, you're not alone, that there is a community that you can, that cares about you, that there is a place you can come where you're loved and accepted, that God accepts you just as you are. You don't have to clean up or change anything. You are safe. You are welcome. You are loved. And so being able to do that at Hope Women's Center, you know, that's a big part of why I'm so driven to do that. That's so cool. You're an incredible person, Tammy. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, Seriously, like that experience Mm -hmm. that you had as a single mother seems to Mm -hmm. have really shaped where you're at right now and and who you serve and Mm -hmm. the programs that you offer. I think all of our experiences in life kind of shape us and drive us to that. And so it's neat when you can align a passion with an experience, especially I think a hard experience, which I tell moms that all the time, like God doesn't waste anything in our lives. So a hard experience can be turned into something beautiful later as you are able to reach back and give to someone else or encourage someone else to say, hey, you're not alone. You don't have to do this alone. Or for me at the time that I first was going through it, I was devastated. It was a really painful divorce and had been an abusive situation. And there were women that God placed a little bit ahead of me. They were ahead of me on the journey, maybe a year, maybe five years. But it gave me hope to go, hey, here's someone else that survived this. A, my story is not unique in the sense that there are other people that are struggling and there are other people that are surviving and there are other people whose kids are surviving. And that was really hard because I think your biggest fear as a parent, what if like this is going to mess up my kids for life? And and I can't control that. And so yeah. how can I survive? But being able to see, hey, other people have gone through it and they're they're okay. Mm-hmm. They're healing. And God is walking them through that and they're faithful in that. So, yeah. So, okay. So when you, how, how did you find out about Hope Women's Center and what did the organization look like early on? Did mm-hmm. they bring you on as CEO? originally or how did that look? That's a very interesting story. So I actually started, I was working full-time at a Christian school, which was the way that I was able to provide for my kids to have a Christian education. So I was doing that, um, and ha- but I had been there about eight years and I had been a single mom for 10 years at that time. And I had felt God prompting me to say, okay, I've had you in this little cocoon. You've had, you know, really, um, you've, I've brought you along, you've healed, I brought you a long way. Now it's time to kind of leave the nest and I'm going to challenge you to do some different things. And so at that time, a really good friend of mine was on the board of a small standalone center. It was not a women's center at that time, but a small standalone center and said, we're looking for our first executive director. So I went and did that for almost a year, but I met Hope Women's Center um, and their director at that time and just loved the model that I saw there and loved what they were doing. And I walked in that center and I thought, this is what I want the center I'm at to look like when it grows up, because this is, I'm seeing women's lives transformed. And this is such a beautiful model. And so I went to that CEO and said, would you mentor me? Because I'm a new executive director, new CEO, um, and I really would love a mentor. And she did. But as we began that journey, a couple months into it, she said, I have a question for you. Would you consider um, coming to Hope Women's Center? Because I feel God's calling me on, and I think you would be a great fit. I said, I can't leave my other center. I just started there and it's my friend. So what can I do? And she said, let's pray. God has God has a plan. God knows what he's doing. And so we did. And we began to talk and the boards began to talk. And it was just a beautiful coming together of both those ministries. And so that center became Hope Women's Center Phoenix. We already had Hope Women's Center Apache Junction, which is where Hope started. And then at that time, she left and I became the CEO of Hope Women's Center. And we opened our third location. And then over the next few years, we just opened four and now five. And I'm excited to see. So you merged the organization. So we merged. They actually came under Hope Women's Center wow. and became a Hope Women's Center. 
And, wow. And just that was a that was a process of bringing mm-hmm. those. But it's great when you're doing it with like-minded and vision-minded people because then it is really, you're able to thrive with that. And so it was neat the way that all the different strengths of the two boards um, were able to come together and thrive. And it just, the teams were really excited because they could see the bigger vision of us coming together and bringing our strengths. Um, what it, We're going to be able to help the Ministry of Hope Women's Center grow. So, How long ago was that? That was in 2003. 13. Seven-ish so, years yeah. ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How did, like, did you receive pushback from any, like, stakeholders in that process? or was A little there... bit, for, just from the, the the transition and trying to understand, like, it's not, we're not losing one or the other. We're becoming one cohesive. It is important, though, to have one name. And so mm-hmm. it had yeah. to, we had to go to Hope, you know, and Hope Women's Center more fit the vision of what we were doing. Um, so there was a little bit, but most of those stakeholders eventually became, you know, felt comfortable with it. They saw the work that God was doing and they saw how fast it multiplied because then we went to three and then to four. And so yeah. they could see that happening. Um, and that was really exciting as they they began to get excited. How many staff members were you merging at that time? Very, I was the only staff member of the center I was at. So executive director sounds great, but you're executive director of yourself. The whole whole thing. (laughs) The whole thing. You do all the work. But we've always, the model for Hope Women's Center has always been 90% volunteers from local churches and the community, because we want the community to have a place to invest in the lives of women and families in their circles. And so that's always been our model. But at the time... um, the, the Hope Women's Center in Apache Junction had, I think, two two or three staff. Cool. So we went from one to just probably five at that time. We have our biggest staff now at 17, which cool. seems huge to me, but that's exciting. Yeah. <laughs> We're still 90% volunteers. So really, in any given month, we have you know 200 plus volunteers wow. between our five locations, um, but 17 staff. And still, most of those are part-time. So we really, we, I always say we are very stewardship focused. It's one of our core values. And that's because we want the local community, especially the local church community, to be the ones that are really doing the work with the women. And that helps keep our costs low, but it also gives the church a place to be yeah, um, the hands and you know feet of God in their community yeah. and be involved. Was yeah. it uh, complicated to manage any like donor relations through that merging process? Sure. There's always complications. <laughs> <laughs> always complications with that. But I think the, the donors that, and the majority of donors stayed. There were a few that didn't, but that was okay. The way I view that with donors and partnerships is God calls people to give. And I never worry. I always say that... Um, in God's kingdom, it only multiplies. So I don't worry about a don- if a donor is not. It feels like they're being called to give somewhere else. That's great. It's still going for the ultimate goal yeah. of loving and serving our neighbors and our community. So that wasn't as worrying to me as making sure that they they understood the vision and the mission of where we were headed. And most of the donors really got excited and could see how much more multiplication of services that we could do, which we did. We began to be able to serve so many more women and families. And they saw that and got really excited and were really excited to be part of that. So I'm just, I'm, you know, we, we, we met 20 minutes ago, so I'm kind of learning your strengths (laughs) as we go through this conversation, but it sounds like a strength of yours to communicate that vision um, and to align people towards a common interest. Do you feel that way? Yes, I do feel that way. I mean, I think one of the things when I first took the position and left education and left kind of that structure, um, I had said to God, please don't make me speak in public (laughs) and please don't make me ask for money and I'll do this job. 
And those are that is 90% of what I do. I speak sense. publicly and ask people for money. But what helped me so much, there's an organization called Mission Increase Foundation, and they train, especially ministry leaders, they train you in a lot of different capacity and board training and leadership development. But they also really helped me with the perspective of asking for money. I'm not asking for money. I'm sharing a vision Mm -hmm. and I'm sharing just what God is doing. I'm sharing the work he's doing. It's his work. And so taking that pressure off, it's not me asking you for money. I just get to share what God's doing. I get to share what's happening at Hope Women's Center. I get to share the stories of transformation, which are incredible, and invite you into that. And if that's where your heart is moved to to give to that and to be a part of that, that's wonderful. If it's not, that's okay too, because there's some other great organizations for you to be part of. I'm more concerned that people are involved with yeah. something and then it doesn't have to be hope. So yeah. that being able to hold that open-handedly in terms of donors and and fundraising was transformational for me because it took a lot of that for type A personality, the stress off of you have to do this, but I just get to share and get to share a vision and people are either that's a vision they're drawn to or they're not and that's okay. So yeah. Yeah, that's really wonderful. Yeah. yeah. So you you were talking, you mentioned that you guys had expanded pretty rapidly. What were some of the moves you guys made to be able to do that and to be able to open up more locations? That was, that's been a challenge in terms yeah. of expanding rapidly as a leader. That's always challenging. The way that we expand though at Hope Women's Center uh-huh. is we don't, we weren't out looking for ways to expand. So what happened with both of our fourth and fifth location and actually Coolidge and Maricopa and the West Valley, those were all communities that actually approached us wow. that said, Hey, we don't have a Hope Women's Center in our area. We've heard about Hope Women's Center. We see what you're doing. We need this for women in our area. Would you be willing to open one here? And the model that we used to do that because we, the board of Hope Women's Center years ago, before my time, created a very reproducible model using the local church, using the community, using this model of classes and mentoring, all that, um, so that they could reproduce. That was the vision they had would be to reproduce these centers. And so it's been neat to get to jump on that train and watch God do that. But so the local churches would come to us and we would say, we need at least two to three churches because it's not ever one church or one particular um you know, denomination that we represent. We need donated space or a gift of a space that we can start in. And then we have the program model and we need volunteers. And so we can actually open a center for $25,000 to $30,000 for a year just to get it going because I have one part-time staff and we just use that donated space um, and just those startup costs. So that's how we began. So all three of those other locations were, that's how they started, was the, the, just coming to us, local churches. The Maricopa one, which I was telling you right before we started, took five years. <laughs> that was the patience of that team. Yeah. But they had been an existing pregnancy center that said, we see the need in our community in Maricopa is so much greater than just pregnancy. We really want to become a Hope Women's Center. So it was time and just waiting for the right property. It was waiting for a donor to then, they provided the the gift for us to be able to buy property. And then it's taken over a year to renovate it. But we are open and excited That's to really serve. Cool. So it's a neat model. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What is the, the just the typical Hope Women's Center? What, what do you guys do there? Mm-hmm. And what are the type of women that that seek you guys out? What do they need help with? So we are a Christian resource and referral center for women and teen girls in any difficult life situation. So she might be coming in for a pregnancy test with an unplanned pregnancy. She might be struggling with domestic violence. That's probably the number one issue that we see. Um, Poverty, homelessness, job losing a job during COVID, we saw a lot of increase of job loss and financial struggles. Could be a single, just a single mom that's struggling 
and having a hard time, um, just whatever her addiction, kind of whatever her issues, we are there to holistically surround her with support physically, emotionally, and spiritually. So we do, all of our services are free. So we have free life skills classes, anything from parenting to nutrition to, uh, there was an exercise class in Phoenix when I left today that was going on. So classes that um, are very practical for her, job skills, how to start a business, how to write a resume, um, a lot around parenting, and then emotional skills. So boundaries, what is a safe person look like? What does a safe relationship look like? How do you heal from abuse or from trauma? A lot around trauma as well. So life skills classes, emotional support, support groups, mentoring. We started crisis counseling during COVID because we saw that that was a need. We were seeing a lot of women coming in with struggling with mental health needs and very isolated, didn't have the funding or resources to be able to get private counseling. And so we were able to have some donors that came along and supported that. And we were able to hire um, just a licensed counselor that now provides that crisis counseling. Um, and then we, our whole thing is how do we have, how do we reduce barriers to women coming? So for, especially as a single mom, this, I was very passionate about this. We need free childcare because if she has to come, she can't afford to pay for childcare. And the last thing you want to do when you're a single mom, you already feel guilty about how many times you leave your kids. You don't want to have to leave them. So we offered free childcare on site. So her kids could be in a safe place. She could see them while she's taking classes um, and then trying to make everything free. And then the whole idea though is very empowering for women. So they come in, they're taking classes, but they're earning points. And then with their points, they're able to get the material resources. So she's providing for her family by earning the points. It's not a handout. Um, certainly we do emergency assistance all the time, but the idea is that she's earning the points, the resources she's determining she needs for her family. And that was something I think too that I brought into this as a single mom that was so powerful for me. I remember one of the first Christmases as a single mom, my um, church group, they were wonderful. They showered us with gifts. They came, there was all these wrapped presents and that was a blessing. But I, there was a piece of me at the time that thought, man, I wish I could do this for my kids. Um, as much as I appreciate this, I just wish I could have done this for them. And so one of the things we do at Hope at Christmas is we do a Christmas store. So the women use their points. They can do all of their Christmas shopping purchase minimal points, but it's gifts they've chosen that they're giving to their kids. So on Christmas morning, they get that joy of seeing their kids unwrap something they've chosen. So that's kind of the model. What? How do we empower women? How do we encourage them? And how do we equip them to break these cycles so that the next generation, because when you talk to women in poverty and abuse, you hear it in their past, you hear it in their story, and you know you're going to keep hearing that cycle if something doesn't interrupt. Um, and we believe the best interruption is the gospel. And so that is where our faith comes in. But we serve women in any faith, no faith. It is Our whole model is trauma-informed and a very loving and safe environment. So we let her drive how much of that we open. We are very authentic and upfront. This is who we are. You're going to hear us talk about it because that's what's been transformational for us. Um, but it's in your time and your choice. If you want to go to an exercise class and a cooking class, that's fine. If you want to go to a Bible study, that's fine. It's totally what you want to do. And the majority of the time, they end up in the Bible study simply because that's meeting that emotional mm -hmm. and spiritual need that they're so craving and just missing in their lives. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. I I, uh, I had the opportunity to tour the AJ location yeah. and talk about the environment that you guys create because I was really impressed that when you walk in, it's such a comfortable place. It's yes. homey. It's like yeah. you feel safe. So talk about like how you guys outfit mm -hmm. the spaces. So safety is a big 
piece for a big component for us because our women are coming out of trauma and are coming out of abuse and we want them to feel safe. So we design the spaces to be beautiful. They're warm. They're inviting. Even our commercial spaces are still designed to be very warm, inviting. We want to know her name that I always tell people like, especially if you're homeless or you haven't, you're in crisis and you're not around, you're isolated. Hearing somebody say your name is a really powerful thing. So we want her to know she's welcome. We know her name when she comes in. The center is beautiful. It's not just a, okay, here's a service agency, fill out a form and and go do this or go do that. Like the DMV. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a, a transactional thing. Yeah. It's not transactional. It's yeah. a great word because it is, we're so much about transformational and relationship. It's a relationship. So women don't come and and have to go through a program and then graduate and leave. They're, we're, our whole view of them is they're, it's relational. They become part of a family. They become part of a community. And many of them will say, this is my family. There was one sweet lady that was messaging me on the way over here. It's just she considers Hope her family. She's older. She has nobody that's in the state. And Hope is her family. And so she considers us her sisters, which is really sweet. But that, that she feels comfortable enough that this is her family that she can go to. And you had asked me about our clients. Our client base um, is pri- is pretty high poverty just across the five locations. So Phoenix, the East Valley, the West Valley, Coolidge and Maricopa. We see women that are really struggling. A lot of single moms, um, self-report income of 15,000 or less. So really struggling financially, although abuse cuts across all socioeconomic you know, areas. So we definitely have women across all of those, but the majority are um just really struggling financially. The majority are single moms or families that are headed by single moms. Yeah. And in the, I would imagine like when you guys get new clients, is it a lot of, do you get more new ones by word of mouth? It is a lot of word of mouth. So for the, for years it was primarily word of mouth. It's been neat now in more recent years as hope has grown and just known more in the community that we get a lot of referrals from other organizations. Um, The DES refers to department of economic security refers to us a lot because our funding, we're very careful with our funding. We don't ever want to take funding that limits who we can serve Mm -hmm. because our philosophy is whoever walks in the door, that's who we serve. That's who we're called to serve that day and that moment. And I don't want to have to say, oh, you don't meet this requirement or you don't live in this zip code or you can't go to this class. Um, So because of that, DES will often refer saying, go to Hope Women Center. They help everybody, which is great because if we don't do it ourselves, we're going to connect them to a resource in the community like shelter. So we're not a shelter, but we work with so many different shelters and we really try to have strong partnerships so that when a woman comes in and needs shelter, we can help her figure out the best fit for her so that it's a success for her and for the program that we're helping her get into. Yeah. So very much relational, very much walking with somebody, knowing their story. It's so important for women to have a safe place for all of us, but for women, especially to have a safe place to tell their story. So without judgment that you're just, you're loved and accepted just as you are. And we tell women there is nothing you can do that is going to take away our our desire to serve you. So you don't have to come in and feel like I got to clean up or sound like I know what I'm doing or that we are just here to love and serve you because that's how God loves and and gives himself to us and just accepts us right where we are. So you're, st- first of all, wow. <laughs> like this is like, it's so heavy and so impressive that you serve this market of people that um, just obviously are underrepresented and underserved. Yeah. Um, so thank you for all that you do. It's really cool. Um, 
you you mentioned that you scaled your staff and you're you're up to 17 people now. It feels so huge to me every time I hear that word. It is. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're, we're at like 11 or 12 and we think it's big now, right? Yeah, really? And, you know, it's I a think lot to manage. Who goes, like, who goes up during COVID and staff? That was, yeah. that was a big step of faith. It actually, but, I mean, yeah. wildly, like it makes mm-hmm. sense too, though. Like you're you're facing yeah. a community of people that are- That need, yes. The experiencing needs more stress. Increased and, significantly. Christ, so we've been grateful. Wow. We have just foundations and financial partners, churches and individuals that have really also stepped up and said, we see the need. We know abuse rates have gone through the roof um, because of people having to be isolated and stay at home when the abuser is at home and no one can escape and the abuser is experiencing more stress than normal with job loss and addiction rising again. So they've seen that, agreed with us, that need is there. And so being able to fund, being able to open the counseling you know, piece, we hired um a gal that's helping us, we had to put so many of our programs online. So mm-hmm. in the past, if you had asked me in February, so as this was, and it's always interesting to me as a leader to think, you know, where you have to pivot and where you have to be proactive and thinking. If you had asked me in February, if we had done this podcast then, are you guys going to do anything online? I would say no, because you're taking away like the sense of community. Women need a place to be together. Well, then March and COVID mm-hmm. happened and suddenly we didn't have a choice. We had to make, we had to do some things. And so that's kind of been a silver lining for us. So we put everything accessible by Zoom and we pre-recorded some classes and it's still not our number one favorite way to do programming. But what it's happened is it's allowed us to serve women across the state that can't always get to us physically. So in the past, when people in Prescott or Payson or Flagstaff or Tucson, I get a lot of requests from Tucson say, do you have a Hope Women's Center down here? We say, no, we don't. But you can call, you can do an intake over the phone, and you can hop on Zoom and be a part of our classes. So it's been fun to be in Apache Junction and I'm watching a Zoom class with three women I know from Phoenix and two I know from Coolidge, and they're building community. They have gotten excited about hearing other stories and other and getting to know other women from the different centers. And then Perryville is a women's prison that we have been working with as well. And we used to just go and visit and share about our services. But now, because everything is online and they've been locked down for so long, they're able to actually hop onto some of our classes. And so then when they are released, we say, go to any one of our centers, your points are in the cloud, and you you can pull down those points and get immediate resources as you're out and really trying to rebuild your life. That's really cool. So that's been a really neat that I think we wouldn't have done without COVID. So. The point system is so interesting. So they're, the work they're doing to earn points is serving them. Right. With education and tools. We consider it serving them and serving their children because they're learning parenting skills. They're getting job skills. They're learning. They're emotionally healing. So many of our women have pretty significant trauma and abuse in their past. So being able to begin to heal from that um, just serves to help their families and their children. And so it's neat to hear. So we have some teen girls that come to our Phoenix Center and their mom comes too. But it's neat to hear their stories about the change they saw in their mom. And then they started wanting to come because they were like, what is happening? Our mom, like who's normally stressed and angry and, you know, really struggling. She's communicating and we see a piece about her and we want to know what's going on. And so they started attending classes because we at 13 and up, you can be a client. So that's been really neat to see then that's what we're hoping for is that breaking of those generational cycles. That's really cool. How have you, um, 
with your staff growing? Like how have you identified leaders to build up in your organization? Are there other people that you're putting in place in order to support you? Yes. So one of the things, so all of our, our model is to have at each center, there is a center manager. And then one thing that we've done in the last couple of years, as we saw the managers were doing so many things and having to wear so many different hats, we put in what really is an assistant manager. So we call it a program support person. And they help that manager with the day-to-day running of the programs. And the manager then is freed up to do some volunteer care, some donor tours and care and all of that. So that's kind of the model that has added some staff. And then we've got some ministry-wide staff. So having a volunteer and outreach coordinator was an important position to add a grants and communications coordinator. We have an amazing writer and she does all of our communication. She's fantastic, just sharing the heart and the stories of the ministry um, and helping with grants. And then we just added an events person, which is my favorite addition <laughs> because I do not, I do not love putting on events. It's not my, it's not my gift. And so being able to have someone who does it and loves it and it actually enjoys it as a job <laughs> has been a great addition. And that's what I've been learning as a leader is I need to hire people to do the things that, I mean, are not my strengths or things that exhaust. I can do events. I've done events for a long, long time, but I don't love it. And so if I bring in somebody that loves it to do that, it frees me up to do the things I love, Mm -hmm. which is the vision, the bigger vision casting and being able to engage people with that vision. And so those have been some great additions um, just to our team overall. And then it's been neat to try to build that. So once a month, I bring all of the team together to our Phoenix location. That's our headquarters. And we do a day of of some training where we bring in an expert in the field and different topics. And then we also then have some team building time together. And that has helped a lot as well to just unify our team. When you do that by um, placing individuals into uh, support in areas that aren't your forte, uh, Kyle and I have gone through the exact same thing where we realize that we are really good at one thing and other <laughs> things either idea. not interest or just not capable. <laughs> and we filled those things. Um, but it's helped us to design what we want our roles to be. Yes. What's that looking like for you? Like what are the, the core functions that you're serving in now as you free up more time for yourself? So I think it's been, it's leading my leaders and re, and then leading the overall vision of the ministry. So one of the things that is hard for me because I am a type A and an Enneagram one is that I do want to have my finger in everything. And I've had to really learn that that's not helpful to me and it's not helpful for, to my team and it's not helpful to the overall you know health of the ministry. I love being in the weeds because I love the client stories and I love that direct. And there are still times I get to do some direct client interaction, but really my my goal, and as we get bigger, we can't grow past what I'm willing to let go of and let yeah. other people take. And that's a hard lesson as a leader, but I'm learning that if I don't let go, I'm keeping us, I'm holding us back. And if I'm able to let go more and just grow my people and let God use their gifts and their tremendously skilled team, let him use their gifts and flourish those, then I just get to then, that just helps the ministry as a whole. So I'm kind of leading the leading our leaders, but then helping direct the overall vision, but really letting them thrive in their areas. And that's been fun to watch. And that's a, that's a reward as a leader to get to see your team members really step into their giftings mm-hmm. and thrive in those. Yeah, for sure. How do you guys determine when, uh, when it's time or when you have the ability to expand like a service offering at a location? Is it largely because you have a new, do- a new volunteer who's interesting and interested in providing the service like you said counseling sometimes it's that that, sometimes it's just that's part of the vision and leadership is going so for the counseling piece that's something always that i'd had Mm -hmm. in the back of my mind like we really because i would see women come in that i always say to our men and our mentors are really life coaching and i would say to them these are really significant 
real mental health issues that we we are not we don't want to do harm it's we're not, not life it's, coach yeah. level yes it's above your pay grade even though you're free <laughs> i would always say like it's, it's too much we need yeah. to refer out so we've always wanted that component it was just the timing and so what it what COVID when COVID happened it was then it enabled us to be able to go specifically to some donors and some foundations and say we've always wanted to do this now it's like really life or death like we really need to get some significant help in this area we're seeing women just really not doing well um, with isolation. And we with hear about these statistics, but like hearing someone boots on the ground, mm-hmm. like working in this uh, statistical uprise of, yeah. of stress in these communities. I mean, that's just so oh, wild right. to hear the firsthand stories, you know, yeah. really hard. a lot of grief and loss, just a lot of grief and loss. There's a lot of grief and loss in our women's lives anyway. But when you think about loss so much more than just a death, but there's loss of like, just even what stability, what little stability you had, you've lost that you're losing your routines, you're losing things that you were really dependent on to stay healthy. So, so many of our women are in very fragile places. And so the, something gets out of whack and then it's hard not for an addiction or an abusive boyfriend who you were able to get away from and now you just lost your job and what are you going to do? And he's saying you can come back. I mean, there's so many situations like that that are so, I feel like women are just on the edge. And so being able for them to have that safety net to say, no, we're going to walk with you through this. We're going to help you without having to go back to those difficult circumstances. Um, so that, so to answer your question about the program, it's, it's sometimes it's seeing that need. So job skills was another one. That's mm-hmm. one of my big passions for 2021. Um, seeing how can we be more intentional? If our goal is to help women break cycles of poverty and abuse, what programs do we need to put in place to see that happen? We have some great partners. Hope is very focused on partnerships. That is a passion of mine. So we don't need to reinvent the wheel. So if someone is doing a fantastic job in a certain area, then how can we partner with them? So we actually partner with another nonprofit called Hustle Phoenix that I love. They do entrepreneurship classes. and Yeah, we got to get, oh yeah, we want to get oh yeah on the podcast. I know, I have, a, on the list for I have sure. a draft yeah. email to the guy. I just, just need to send it. You I'm, I'm glad to, to hear you haven't sent it because I, I I thought we got ghosted yeah. on that one. Yeah, yeah, we would yeah, love to have him. Yeah. 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 That's well, cool though. Tammy guys, said I have to be on this. Yeah, yeah. I can name drop Tammy now. name drop Tammy now. Yeah, they do some cool stuff over there. They do some awesome stuff. So we just finished a class. They just finished a cycle of a class with us and it was so neat to see our women. The thing I love about their program is they're giving them the what I say business school skills for women that have would have no other way of doing that and then at the end of the time they do a pitch for their business so I get to see women that normally would be so afraid to like speak certainly not speak publicly but speak and even in a class they get those skills developed and they get excited about their business and they get to pitch it and they just thrive in that it's so good for them to be able to have a safe place to do that and to get the tools to learn how to do that how to pitch a business and they get so excited and they're so supportive of each other and doing that that's been really that's a fun partner that we love so what we started thinking about is we have people like that that are doing these great skills then how do we take it to the next step So now we've had five women go through this last class. How do we help them take their business? You know, do we provide a space where they can come and work on a computer with internet, which a lot of our women struggle with? Do we provide, you know, some graphic designer that has willing to dedicate some, donate some time to them? You know, how do we take it to the next level? And then we have women that entrepreneurial 
things aren't, that is not their bent. So how do we teach them just basic? How do you do an interview? How do you write a resume? Um, just different career assessments. What kinds of things would you like to do? What are you passionate about? So we're really looking to develop that piece for Hope Women's Center as we go in to 2021. And even other partners, Fresh Start is a um, nonprofit women's foundation. They have fantastic programs for women that are higher skilled job training things. So we think, okay, that's great. We know they're doing that. Then that can be a pathway. We can put women that fit there to them. And so just really trying to find the best way that we can help and serve our women. Um, so looking at what needs are. And then definitely when we have volunteers that come in and say, this is my passion, or I have several people teaching right now that are teaching finance and budgeting classes, and that's their passion. And that's a helpful skill we all need. And so that's been great to really add those programs to what we're doing. So we look for the volunteers that come with the passion as well. So. That partnership piece is huge. I didn't actually huge. like put two and two together. Like you guys could, if you had yeah. uh, a client who was interested in starting a business, you have that hustle connection. We do. So That's what really we great. say is we have the women, like what programs can you bring to them? Because yeah. they're not necessarily going to go out. So out, That's yeah. the one thing they feel safe coming to Hope. They don't always feel safe going back out somewhere mm -hmm. else. So we always tell our partners, what can you bring? We've got the space. We have the women. As long as it's free, you can mm -hmm. bring whatever your programs are to them and they will love to be, you know, love to be able to engage with that. So different trainings and so forth. Yeah. It's so funny because so many of those skills, I think that the general population doesn't ever have a real formal opportunity to learn, mm -hmm. like, you know, conflict resolution, relationship yeah. management, like, you know, <laughs> job right. skills, mm -hmm. like a lot of those things aren't taught in no. like grade school. Right. And then if you don't go mm -hmm. into higher education, you might not learn those things. Right. It's Even really simple things like one of my favorite classes we teach is called Safe People. It's a Cloud and Townsend book. They do the boundaries series, mm -hmm. which probably are one of our, it is one of our core classes because that's a huge issue that everyone needs to learn. My mom boundaries. loves that book. It's great. She, she does uh, foster yeah. care and she's always oh, yeah. teaching from those principles. Yes, those principles are great. So Safe People is my other favorite favorite one that they do. And it just teaches you what's a safe relationship. What's a safe friendship look like? What's a safe parent relationship look like? So a lot of our women were not parented in a, by a safe parent. So it teaches them to understand that. And then how do you, do you, how can you still have a relationship with an unsafe person and be safe yourself? or be healthy yourself? And then how do you become a safe person? Because when you're carrying forward trauma and abuse, you're not always a safe person because you're carrying a pattern forward. So how do you become a safe person? So that's a series that I love that we teach talking about things that we don't always learn. If you And I always told people like during COVID, there were so many friends that were so grateful that they were able to be home and this gave them a renewed sense of family and dinner times together. And I love that, that's wonderful. But for, my, for the women that we serve at Hope, that's not, 99%, that's not their experience. So they're now home in a toxic environment 24-7. And so for them, it was a really difficult season with a stay-at-home order. And now they're having to kind of rebound from that. And those were not good situations. And so things like learning how to heal from trauma, how to recover from abuse, um, and then how to become a healthy person yourself. Are huge things. Well, I mean, just some estimation, but like what percentage of them do you think have children of their own? What percentage of our women have children of their own? Oh, gosh, probably at least 70%. We do see the majority of, of women yeah, yeah, have children. Or we do our older, we have an older population, um, but a lot of those are grandmas and moms. But we yeah. do definitely serve single women as well without children, but the majority of our, our women do have children. Yeah, I'm sure that adds a, a huge layer of stress and complication to their life to not just support for themselves and provide right. for themselves, but Absolutely. their children. Yeah. On the like on the marketing side of the business, uh, you guys do an incredible job of like I get as a you know as a donor I get mm -hmm. a lot of direct mail 
You guys do a great job with it. Like, Thank you. T- talk, talk a little bit about the approach towards the marketing, because it seems to be very heavy into storytelling. I was going to say stories. I think, it's, I, think it's, stories. I think it's highly effective. Yeah, story-driven, because that is, yeah. for us, that is the success, is the transformation in a life. Um, it's not even our success, that's God's success, but the transformation in a life is what tells the story of what we do. And so as much as we can get those stories forward, we just, I was just sending our video this morning to um, a donor that was interested in just saying, like, I want you to hear the women's stories, because I can talk about hope all day long, I love it, but the women's stories will inspire you to hear what they have overcome is incredible. I mean, they give me so much courage and strength just listening to their stories, what they've overcome, how they are, you know, coming back from healing from this trauma and really trying to make a difference for their children. Even one woman who talks in a, re- a recent video we did, she's a grandma now and her children, she had a, a strange relationship for a long time, but she says a line in the video, she says there is it's never too late to start again. And I love that because it's it's not. And now she's beginning to rebuild a relationship um, with her children that was broken from a lot of abuse in their home. So it's just, it's never too late to change and to begin to start. And so the marketing side, telling stories, we do have a couple of great marketing companies that we work with. Um, and one that does all of our social media gifts their time to us. So that's just that's a great. huge gift. Our website and our social media is gifted by one of our marketing partners. And they it's, it's their team that are so passionate about what we do, that love to tell the stories of what we do. That's really great. So, yeah, yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, On the podcast, we tend to dig into like just organizational challenges too. Um, Over the last few years, what have been some of the things that you guys have had to battle through that have been kind of testing? And Mm. sometimes there's there's times here. Today is just a a day at Motion Tactic. Tyler and I kind of feel exhausted because there's so many decisions to make. At times, it feels kind of overwhelming. Mm -hmm. What have times like that looked like for, for you? I think definitely, and I always am curious about how redemption does this. I actually look at that model, the Redemption Church model, because there's a lot of multi sites, mm-hmm. and each one is has its own unique flavor, and yet they're unified. And I think that has been, as a leader, the challenge for me at Hope. I'm always telling our teams we're one organization, we're not five. Mm-hmm. We're one organization with one set of one mission and vision, and one set of structure and policies. But then each of you individualize in the communities where you are for the women that you're serving. So So how do you do that well? How do you do that effectively so that your donors are hearing the same mission, vision, and message, but yet you're also able to be unique? You're all unique individuals, unique leaders, and to do that. So that has been a huge challenge in keeping our teams unified, not having some of our remote teams feel like they're out there on their own. How do we bring everybody in the fold? That's one of the reasons why we do the once a month together. How do they encourage each other? So really try to encourage them to build relationships among themselves. So if somebody's having a hard day, they can call another manager. How did you handle this? How did you handle that? And encourage each other. They often are much better at that than than if they called me and I tried to encourage them because they're in the they're doing it their boots on the ground they're doing the day to day service so that has been challenging as a leader um, and I think just being a leader in ministry can be very isolating and a, as a woman leader in ministry is isolating so I've definitely as a leader sought out some groups that I can be with other leaders to just run things by that we can encourage each other. And that's been a huge blessing because I still feel like, you know, I've only done this eight 
eight plus years and it's new and I'm learning all the time and I'm a better leader now than I was then, but I hope I'm a better leader in <laughs> eight more years than I am now. Um, but you're always, I think it's so key as a leader to always be in that learning, that humility of there's always areas that I need to learn and grow in. And I want to do that so that I can be more effective for my team and more effective for the work that we are doing that we feel like has been a very important God-given task to do. So we want to be the best at that. Mm-hmm. What are some of the big initiatives you guys are are focusing on for? So for my big ones for twenty twenty one in growing the counseling. So I so right now we've just started with one counselor, but our goal is she's been working on her supervision license so that we can supervise counseling interns because then that allows me to multiply out with not and keep the services free so that I can continue to multiply out at the other centers with the counseling, um, the job skills development, and then really working. We actually were are participating with one of our partners in a study out of the University of Michigan that helps women with postpartum depression. And so we're part of the study for the next two years. So really helping pregnant women make sure they know that we exist, that they can find us, and that we can give the support to them because the study this program that they're piloting has shown like a 50% reduction in preventing um, maternal postpartum depression and maternal mental health issues. And that's huge because for our women, they're already at risk for mental health issues and then pregnancy makes that risk even higher. So being able to have this partnership to come in and do some of this clinical work with our women is fantastic. And again, everything is free that we do. So really getting the word out to the community to say, we have these great programs, um, send pregnant women to us because Mm -hmm. we want to walk with them and support them. And then for me, I'm so passionate. One thing I didn't talk about was our pro-grace model and how we work with women in unplanned pregnancy. And we loved the model so much. It's really the culture of hope is pro-grace. And that is the idea that, you know, God's heart is for the woman and the child and for them both to thrive. So if a woman is facing an unplanned pregnancy, um, usually we're just, we want to love her and walk her through that and let her know she doesn't have to do that alone. And we do that with a very grace-based approach. Like we're here to, what do you need? We're here to walk with you because we find 99.9% of the time, the vulnerability for her in that pregnancy is that she doesn't think she can do it yeah. by herself, financially, emotionally, um, and she wants to, but she doesn't think that she can. Mm-hmm. So being able to walk with her and say, you know, we're here, you have support, you have a network. Um, I'm working with a teen mom right now that I just, I, I'm always thinking of her and thinking, I don't know how she does this. She's very young, she's in school and she's about to to give birth. And yet I'm so proud of her for reaching out, for reaching for help and for just letting us have the privilege of walking with her and just seeing how she is just blossoming and being courageous mm-hmm. and walking forward with this. So what a wonderful, wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe you can leave us with a, a really cool story, a uh, transformation that, that you've, that you've seen. I know there's probably yeah, there's a bunch so of many, them, I'm but always like, I'm if there's one that, it. yeah, there's um, one that comes to mind, I think it'd be worth sharing. One of my favorites has been a client that came to us. She had left an abusive relationship in another state and came, she found herself pregnant. She was really devastated and just, she was a perfect example of one that thought I can't, I cannot do this. Like I'm barely surviving. She had one of her children with her. The others were staying with relatives. She was sleeping on somebody's couch and she just like, I can't, I can't do this. Um, and came in and we just surrounded her with love and support and just listened to her. We didn't try to tell her you need to do this or you don't need, you need to do that. Just let us listen to your story and let's just talk with you. And 
She began to go to classes. She began to meet with a mentor and she began to have a vision that God did care about the minuteness of her. I mean, just everything about her situation. He did care and he would provide for her. And so she had had four boys up to this. And so she decided she was going to keep her baby, that she really was, we were able to find her a place to live, find her support. And now she she's moved back out of state, but she had a baby girl. She's a beautiful little girl. But what I love is that she checks in with us every year and just reminds us like this was so, you guys were transformational for me. You helped me get back on my feet. You gave me a vision that life didn't have to be stuck in this cycle of abuse. And I have this beautiful little girl who's the light of my life that I didn't think I could have. And yet I was able to because I found that people cared and there was support. Um, and so that is one of my favorite stories. Another really quick one, because I can't just tell one. Yeah. <laughs> love, Go for it. As we had another lady that came to us that she was not, she had been moved been moved here by her husband who had moved they'd moved from another country um so he had had a job here within a month of being here he left her um and she was by herself able to be here legally but did not have did not speak english did not have a job wow. knew no one she was in line at des trying to get some support and somebody told her about hope women center she started coming to us um so we were able to walk with her for a couple of years really helping her heal from the trauma of the divorce and the pain of that she learned english we teach english as a second language she learned english with us and Eventually, she was able to get a job. She had a higher degree from the country where she had come from. She was able to get a job at Phoenix Children's Hospital. And now she actually comes back. She gives back. She comes back and translates classes for us. And that's her way of like coming full circle and being able to say, wow. like, I was able to do this. And really, I mean, she credits God with that transformation because she got connected to a local church and just found a lot of healing, learned English. And then I'd love to see her coming back and serving other women because that's just the beautiful circle of... I can, I did, God did this for me and I want to encourage you where you are that you're not alone. So that's a really neat story too. That's very powerful. Wow. Uh, where can people find you? What's your guys' website URL and how can they donate? Hopewomencenter.org is how they can find us. Uh, we have a big donate button right on the front page. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we have a, a campaign we just started that we're running right now that's $24 a month helps us serve six additional women a year. So that's a cool. little bit, that's like a few coffees from Starbucks. Yeah. I was going to ask this question, to. like you see the commercials like for a dollar a day. Yeah. I was going to ask if you guys had a stat like this amount of money it does. translates so to this so usually it's $24. We say, 40, we say it takes about $48 a month to serve for a one woman for everything we offer. Wow. So 48 a month for a year is 12 women, but $24 a month, you're helping six women, which is huge. $12 a month, which my, my kids are in their young 20s and I'm always like $12 a month. That's two Starbucks drinks. Yeah. And you can help three women a year at Hope Women's Center. So this really, like I said, we're 90% volunteers. So we operate so that we make it affordable for people to come alongside and give. But we are, we cannot do it without the community because we are fully reliant on donations, small foundations, individuals, and churches. And the tax credit, we qualify for the tax credit. It. So that's, that's like, right. That's like giving for free. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and go to our website to learn yeah. how you can do that for free. I still need to do the tax credit. <laughs> tax credit I was is great. To Taylor about it last <laughs> you, do. Night. you do. It's a dollar for dollar. I mean, as long as the state of Arizona does out that, on my calendar <laughs> to do or go online to do it. Yeah. You, get, you have until April fifteenth yeah. to do for the prior tax year. But yeah, that's a huge blessing for us because it is helping. The, it's helping tax dollars. You get to direct how you're going to spend them. Yeah, and that's that. I think people like being able to say, "Hey, I want mine to go to help women and children." So. That's really wonderful. Well, well, thank you for joining. Yeah. Thank you for yeah, having thank me. Thank you, Tammy. Thank you.